welcome to the show. Uh, real quick, if you are watching this on YouTube, if you could just hit that subscribe button and the like button on the video, that will help me out. And if you're not on YouTube, uh, we'll create an account and subscribe to my YouTube channel. I'm really trying to get the subscribers up on that one. You can also subscribe uh, wherever else you listen. I think on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that stuff. So anyways, my guest today, great guest, Tom Shea. He is a Navy SEAL, bronze and gold star, I believe he has. And it's eye-opening stuff about Navy SEALs, uh, listening to Tom tell us about Hell Week and the basic training stuff they go through, and also the combat and just the psychology and how you can use those principles in your own life. I think if you, you know, if Tom can do that stuff and make it through Hell Week, I mean, why can't we get off our couches and, and do some shit with our own life? So I think it's inspiring stuff. Uh, he's got two books out. One is called Unbreakable, which I listened to on Audible. And then the other one I, I bought, it's called Three Simple Things. I have the paper copy here. And that's a, they're both great books. And he talks about these principles in, in more detail. Uh, so we're just going to scratch the surface on a lot of the stuff. And of course, I'm going to pick his brain on Afghanistan. And uh, he schools me on that situation because I admittedly don't know a lot about it. Uh, but I think his take was refreshing. I don't think he's uh, too political about it. I think he's very matter of fact and all in all just has a lot of great wisdom and inspiration in this entire episode uh, with Tom Shea. Check it out. All right. Please welcome Tom Shea to the Chuck Shoot Podcast. How are you doing, Tom? Hey, uh, thanks for thanks for uh, having me on. Yeah, this is exciting. I read, uh, like I said, I read both your books, uh, Unbreakable and the uh, Three Simple Things. I have the paper version of this one, so that's uh, I can show the audience if you're watching on YouTube what it looks like. Uh, great stuff, inspiring things. Um, I, one thing I heard you talk about in an interview wasn't in the book that uh, about how, I think the West Point stuff that was not in the book, was it? Uh, I don't think I put it in either book, but uh, I, I don't know exactly. I, I know it's not in the second one. Yeah, I didn't. I don't remember reading it, but I heard you talking about an interview that you had got accepted to West Point, but actually failed out. Oh well, no. So I went there for three years, and uh, I think it's the paramount story of uh, uh, what it's uh, what is great about America is that you can try and fail, and then you can start over. And uh, that's that's my story. I'm better at starting over than most people <laughs> in on the planet. So. Uh, but yeah, you, I just yeah, had to start over. You started over. Yeah. So well, one thing that you, uh, I think, was this the time when you first interacted with Navy SEALs and you, that was like your tribe. You realize you're like, that's what I want to do. I want to be a Navy SEAL. Well, no, I went back home with my tail between my legs. And like all kids, you know, uh, if you don't have great parents, you're kind of stuffed after you fail. But I, my parents were awesome. And I'd always wanted to be a SEAL. Uh, my dad did not want me to because mm. of the the attrition rate is real. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he had gone to West Point. So I decided to, to see if I could go that route. It just didn't work out for me. Uh, my daughter graduated a couple of years ago. So it works out for other people, just not me. So uh, I, I just got great guidance from my dad to, uh, um, hey, you know, you, it can't get any worse than this. What, what do you want to do? And I thought, you know what, I really want to be a SEAL. And I know you're not going to say yes, I'm just going to go sign up. So I signed up and then told him. Mm. So, but to be a Navy SEAL, don't you have to do regular, be a, uh, in the regular Navy first? You can't go, mm. you can go directly to being a SEAL? Yeah, it's only special operations, uh, I guess, service or branch or specialty that allows you to sign up directly for it. Oh. And they do that because they don't want to um, overcome bad training. So they want to train you from the beginning. And uh, it, it's effective. It's just very hard to get in. Yeah. So explain to the audience too, like you, you went through five hell weeks cause you're supposed to do one, but you kept having all these injuries and that's what, what held you back. Well, so seal training back in the, it's not really changed that much since uh, probably Vietnam. It had started in world war two as a, under a different name under scouts and raiders or construction battalions. Uh, it was just a, a conglomerate of people that knew underwater explosives and diving and they were the first guys on the beach at Iwo Jima and Surinjima and Guadalcanal and all those other places, uh, both in uh, the Western campaign and on the Eastern front. And so the guys that were tasked with designing a, a group of people that wouldn't quit designed a program that causes people to quit. You know, And uh, so I uh, 
was enthralled with that as a kid. And I grew up knowing a couple uh, guys that were in World War II as SEALs. And uh, so I went and signed up for it. I couldn't swim when I signed up. Uh, so I spent a year trying to learn how to swim. When I finally got there, the teams were undermanned. So they allowed people who weren't going to quit to continue. And as long as you don't quit, they'll keep you there. Uh, at least I thought. So I went into my first uh, training schedule. And Hell Week is, uh, I'll probably have to talk about Hell Week. Uh, Hell Week is a five-day continuous training program at in the SEAL pipeline. That's around week five. It's week, It was week six for us. Now it's week five. And it it pushes you beyond what you're capable of doing to see if you're going to quit on yourself. And it gives you every reason to quit. And I made it uh, to Wednesday four times in a row. First one, I got a concussion. Then I started all the way over, got a uh, uh, dislocated my shoulder. Then I started over again and uh, got pneumonia, held on to pneumonia, and uh, got kicked out at my after my fourth hell week and had to work at the hospital because I was a medic. And then came back in class 207, and we started out with uh, 111 men and graduated 11. So do you think those injuries, though, I mean, would you look back at that as something that a mistake that you made or was it just bad luck? Uh, I don't think luck is measurable. I think everything is mistake or giving up on yourself, especially as an old guy. Now, I realize that uh, uh, the unconscious brain causes accidents. And uh, I had tried hmm. to be number one on everything. And uh, so the process of being number one is you never get to rest. And, uh, I, you know, when you're always leaning forward, it causes your body not to recover well and mentally you can't recover. And uh, so when I finally went back for 207, I realized the only thing that matters is that you're there at the end. Who cares if you're first or last? Mm. And uh, it made a huge difference. Okay. So just maybe you're almost like trying too hard, like too eager. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, the alpha mind, uh, most of the guys that go there are predators that should be in jail or alpha males. And uh, so they're always trying to be number one in everything they do. And it's uh, that's the design of training is to not really beat that out of you, but don't concern yourself with winning. You just got to concern yourself with never giving up. And uh, it's a hard lesson. Yeah. Uh, Cause I think you said that you were, before you went, you were doing like the ice baths and like running and the push-ups and the pull-ups. And you said that was like a waste of time because if you're mentally strong you can overcome anything. Uh, yeah. So what they find out, what you find out, because I went through training as a student. I later went back in 2001 as an instructor and put uh, 16 hell weeks or 16, 16 different hell weeks through. And so from different points of view, you realize there's a lot of factual stuff going on. That's actually relevant to every human being. Mm -hmm. And one of those is uh, if you learn how the brain is designed to not really want to do anything. The brain really doesn't like to do anything hmm. difficult. It wants to find every excuse in the world. So what they do in SEAL training is let you confront that very quickly as a trainee uh, and give you reasons to quit. Pain is a beautiful reason and they give it to you on a daily basis. Uh, and then they take your ability to function physically function away from you. So, like if you're used to being number one, they take it away. If you can do 100 push-ups, by the time you get to Hell Week, on three hours into Hell Week, you can't even do a push-up anymore. And so all that physical stuff is really cool to, you know, and, you know, you know all the movies about SEALs that they're hard physically. It doesn't make a bit of difference. It's what the brain does and or the willpower, if you want to call it that. And all they let you hone in on during hell week is here are 16 million reasons to quit, pick them or don't pick them. And the guys that don't quit have a wonderful life. The guys that do regret it emotionally. And they're, they're like, they have a tough time uh, for the rest of their life. If they quit, it's an interesting. Really? Yeah, that is because you said the attrition rate, I think, is it 85%? Is that what you said? 85 still to this day. Yeah. 
Wow. So, I mean, it's very simple. It's like, I think you talk about this, and I think it's both of your books. You say it's very simple. Keep your word and don't quit. But it's like easier said than done. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so talk about like the internal dialogue. You say that's the most important thing. Like, how do you kind of recognize that? Do you, have, do you end up like actually physically writing stuff down to kind of get those thoughts out? Or how do you? Uh, everybody could you everybody could recognize this, whether they're watching it or uh, listening. Uh, it, it's what you say to yourself about who you are and what you're doing. And so if you're a runner, what you're saying on a good day is internal dialogue. And what you're saying on a bad day is internal dialogue. The language itself shapes what you do. And another way to look at that is, you know, if you're a runner or you're in a gym working out and everything's going well, listen to how calm your brain is. It doesn't want a way out. It wants more and more and more. And it doesn't, it's not conflicted. So take a bad day. During a bad day, notice that the brain does not want to be there. The language of the brain is F this. <laughs> mm -hmm. This isn't for me. Hell with this. It's trying to find a way out. So what they show you is don't let that dictate your actions. And the only way to let it not dictate your actions is you got to change the wording. I'm going to stay here five more minutes. I'm going to make it right there. So I'm not going to be in conflict for the next two seconds and then the next two seconds and the next two seconds. And that is the paramount conversation of internal dialogue is uh, what you say to yourself drives what you do, but don't try to conflict it and don't try to project it 10 years in, in the future. Just be two feet ahead of you to you win every battle. If you be present. Is that something you just kind of figured out on your, did they want you to kind of figure that out on your own in the Navy SEAL training or do they train you that way? Uh, they don't let, they don't openly discuss it until after hell week. So hell week, you're kind of on your own. Yeah. You just have yeah, to until figure you it out. Learn to do it until you learn the one concept. Don't quit. You're not trainable and they're not interested in you. Like they're, Hey, cool, man. You're the fastest runner in the world. Cool. Until after hell week, the instructor staff actually is burdened by you because you're a pain in their ass. Because here's 185 people, 110 people. It's so hard to manage all those people. They're like, oh, cool. Oh, well, sorry, you broke your leg. Next. You fell off the, the slide for life and broke your neck. Cool. Bye. Oh, your wife is cheating on you. See ya. All those reasons. They just keep getting rid of people until after hell week. And then everything slows down and they take a deep interest in you because they're going to go to war with you now because the people who make it out of hell week end up going to war with all the instructors and it's a huge dynamic shift and they really are concerned with you as a human being and they're like okay here's what you learned in hell week like damn dude why didn't you teach me that before it would have been a lot easier like no we've tried to teach people it hmm. they have to come to this realization themselves that uh quitters don't have any place in the world and that's what you were. That's the only thing you get from hell week because you learn not to quit. But if you break your leg, that's not really quitting, is it? Or yes, it is. Same, same. Con so if you want to take true ownership of yourself, you realize that uh, when the brain wants a way out, it's trying to find a way. So it stops paying attention. It tries to hurt itself because that's a way to get itself out of the pain. And mm. uh, sometimes people may have an accident and don't tell you. And their brain is very conscious uh, and they'll have a broken wrist and not tell you they'll have a broken ankle and not tell you. And they make it through hell week. Wow. That's the truth. I've seen guys break ribs and not say anything to the instructor staff. You're like, Oh my God, I can't, I can't even breathe now normally because their brain goes, you know, I'm not interested in this. I just want to make it through and I don't care how I feel. I'm going to make it through. So it's a total shift instead of the looking for an, a way out. It's, it's not, it's the opposite. It's, it's saying, I'm going to do it no matter what. And that's what they're trying to that, teach. Yeah. That's not quitting. Yeah. So the, the reason why the a guy named Draper Kaufman wrote the, uh, the, the curriculum that is hell week and some of the seal training that's evolved. And he wrote into it. Uh, the only thing that matters in a warrior is that he's not going to quit because somebody who's not going to quit keeps creating conditions to win somebody that hasn't learned how bad things can get, as soon as they get bad, they pull away from it. And 
when you're on an offensive operation, which is the teams are all leaning forward and offensive. They don't do defense at all. So when you're offensive, everything's unraveling all the time. And it's very difficult to keep taking steps forward because you're always outnumbered. You're outgunned. Like one target that we were on in Afghanistan, we were outnumbered 80, 65 to eight. And so, okay, let's take a next step. We're not going to give up because given all, what are you going to do in combat when you give up? There's only one solution then is you're dead. So let's just keep moving forward. And that's why hell week was designed is keep moving forward. And it doesn't matter if you're broken because your buddy will help you. And so all that becomes a very interesting, it's, it's lost to the American public uh, of a life that what would your life be like if you didn't quit? Sorry, I didn't mean to ramble on that one. No, that's, I'm just, I'm on the edge of my seat here. This, I'm just taking this all in. This is, you're right. Like that's an interesting last point. You said the American, it's lost on the American public. Cause this, this is such a, you're right. It's such a, um, I mean, this is not just Navy SEAL stuff. This is stuff that, uh, principles that can be taught to everybody. Yeah. When I got out, I started, uh, I had that cause I wrote unbreakable, which was originally titled Spartan woman. Right. And the, the freaking publisher said, hell with that. <laughs> Nobody's going to read a book about Spartan woman. And Stacy did this all unbeknownst to me in the beginning. So she got it put up, edited and put it up on Amazon and oh damn all, all of a sudden i was in the the public sector and i'm not a big fan of military writing books and then all of a sudden i was like god dang it here i am the dude that i hated the most either i'm going to represent well or i'm going to pull the book off and so i i had i i was speaking to a group about uh you know what what makes a team better than another team and what's leadership and and as I started telling them the stories of what real leadership looks like from the combat perspective, I realized that, boy, y'all are missing the ball. It's not how much money you make. That's simple. What's difficult in business that I saw in the first five seconds is everybody's lazy and gives up constantly. And you can teach people to not do that. So that's what we've been doing for the past eight years is teaching leadership and teams to dynamically not give up. So what do you, if your leader doesn't give up, what happens to the company? Wow. All kinds of things happen. Do you think some of that though, is that it's like motivation, like how do, I mean, you really wanted to be no, a exact seal. Opposite. Motivation is what you do when you're not prepared. People who are need motivation didn't prepare for anything. People who are committed don't need motivation. If I'm not going to give up and I've learned that skill I don't care how I feel or how cool it is. Uh, people who show up unprepared are always super motivated. It's the weirdest dynamic. Hmm. Like worst thing you can do is have somebody hyper sensitive to being energetic. Dude, calm down because we don't need you to burn energy now. Slow down. And usually the most motivated are the ones that are not there when it counts. It's a sad state of affairs to, to acknowledge that, but. Well, cause it seems like there's just like lately, especially I've seen like you talk about the American public. It seems like people just don't, they're not commit. They're not committed. I guess maybe that's a better way to phrase it. Like I, I'm seeing it like all over, like just every interactions with like going to the stores and, and dealing with insurance companies. And just, it seems like people are not committed to their jobs. I'm like, why are they in these jobs if they don't care? Because uh, it's, it's reinforced to I still get paid whether I care or not, or I'm committed or not. And, uh, and I can get whatever I want relatively simple, simply. Uh, I don't have to fight for food. I'm relatively safe unless I'm in South side Chicago or some of the places that aren't safe, but they're rare for people in the United States to live in a, a non, non-safe environment. And so that, you know, the old saying, uh, of, uh, Difficult times create uh, hard men and hard men create easy times. Easy times create weak men. (laughs) We're just in that weird cycle that we've had a lot of easy times and it's created weakness. And eventually it'll unfold that strength has to come back. Is that the only thing is something bad's going to happen to kind of light a fire under people right now? Cause it seems like if you're a historian, you, you understand that, uh, we, uh, weakness always creates bad things. Hmm. 
Yeah, it, it is interesting. Um, but even, you know, with, with someone such as yourself, where you have so much success, you're still going, you haven't, you haven't gotten lazy yourself. And right. So I, I, one is I had three kids to raise and, uh, and I, I'm not one to sit around. I think the word retirement, uh, is a horrible word, just transition to something else. And I've been freaked out and scared and I thought it was all going to come to an end like every other day for a while. And, uh, but I like that lifestyle of, of adapting and getting around the right people. And, uh, you can always give up. I just don't have that genetic predisposition to give up when it gets shitty. And I find myself in a lot of shitty conditions. Still? Figure it out. Still shitty conditions still going on? Oh, yeah. yeah anytime in business is always the process of uh, things falling apart. I've never even, uh, so I've, one is we teach, a, we teach leadership seminars one a month now. Uh, we do consulting with companies and, from the observation standpoint, uh, companies are always unraveling. Like conditions are always going bad. Who would have predicted COVID mm-hmm. that crushed a bunch of industries? One of our clients was a restaurateur. It was gone overnight. Their business was done. So what do you do? You give up or you figure it out. So we help them figure out how to navigate in a space that they didn't predict on Monday was ever going to happen. And on Tuesday, it was the only thing like the restaurants were dead. So what are we going to do? And, uh, but if you don't know people that if you are going to quit because it got bad, like a lot of people did, a lot of people quit on themselves. Oh my God, my business done. So I'm going to get fat. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to get divorced. (laughs) Everything unraveled for a lot of people. Uh, and so what we didn't know the solution but as long as we're not going to quit, you add a lot of spice to the, the the soup that is business. If you're not going to quit, yeah. What was the uh, two sayings in the seals? Plan your dive and, and dive your plan. So like you try, mm-hmm. you do your best not to deviate and change the plan. But then once the bullets start flying, the plan goes out the window, right? <laughs> uh, well, so uh, plan your dive and dive your plan. If adjust, get back on the plan. So if you have to do something do it very quickly and then get back to the plan. So in combat, it's the same way. So you, you plan for every contingency, which is just do basic shit. I mean, that's really combat. If it's complicated, it never is good. The plan's never going to work out. And every plan goes awry. The moment you, you give the brief, the plan is going to change. So when combat happens, when you're getting shot, there's basic premises the basic premise is find your buddy. Nobody ever tells people that like the Navy seals, the movie mm-hmm. they're uh, lean forward, kill everybody, blah, blah, blah. Yell at each other. Officers make calls. Officers in the teams don't say anything. Uh, so the basic premise of success, even in business, when things get chaotic, find somebody else who's committed in the seal teams under fire. You don't return fire immediately. You find your buddy. Now that I found my buddy, I patiently find the enemy. Because if we're not dead, he probably doesn't have a bead on us. So be patient, which is counterintuitive. So during chaos, what do you have to do? Slow down. Don't panic. Because it's a form of quitting. Panic is a form of quitting. It's when the brain starts getting haywire and it can't make a good decision under a panic situation. So now I found my buddy. I get really calm. And they beat that into you in SEAL training. So if you're not within six feet of somebody of another SEAL during a crisis situation, you get hammered as a SEAL student. So then that's all you do in combat is find my buddy. Okay, now I've located Jimmy. Now we got to locate the enemy. And you calmly do it. Who cares? The bullets are whizzing. If they're hitting you, it's different. Then you just move out of the way and then calmly find the enemy. So... That's the whole job is stay calm, which is counterintuitive. Find your buddy, find the enemy, and then do a very basic plan. You go there, you go there. I'll shoot him from this window. You shoot him from that window. Ready, set, go. And you got to be able to explain it to a five-year-old, which is the funniest thing. Funniest concept in the world of leadership is if you can't explain it to a five-year-old, 
it doesn't, it's not going to work. And they beat that into in the SEAL teams. You use too many words, too many five-letter words, nobody's going to be able to understand it. It's got to be like three-letter words. Huh. And uh, and it's phenomenal how that plays out. And if you were to go on a combat mission in the SEAL teams, all you'd hear is on your headset is very few words. Nobody ever yells and guys acting calmly and even telling jokes in the middle of it. Yeah. I mean, you talk about in your, uh, I think it was unbreakable where you talk about your platoon and all these like different like personalities that you got uh, really interesting people. It sounds like almost like it's like a movie, but so how do you get relationships with those, with those guys? Like, and how do you train the, that in business? To, Cause that's gotta be a big part of working together as a team is working with each other. It's also the, what you, you'd asked this earlier. And I, I, I don't know if I coined the term, I just had to find a way to relate it to the civilian community. The internal dialogue of a, the team internal dialogue is they are more important than me. So that's the language of a functional team is that your team counts more than you. So if you, that's how you create a relationship with those guys and you're with them freaking 10 months out of the year. And so you go through your relational ups and downs, you hate them. They hate you. You get in fights. And when team guy gets team guys get in fight, it's epic should be on TV when it happens. And so you just beat each other up until all the anger has gone. And then you're friends physically two Navy seals. That's gotta be dangerous. Well, you put on big, heavy gloves and just get exhausted. And I I don't think I've ever been in a platoon where I haven't fought somebody just because you get pissed off at them and they just, all right. And your platoon chief, which I finally was a platoon chief. uh, All right. You guys are angry at each other. Get the gloves out. You get in a circle, you let the the two guys fight until they hug each other. It could be an hour. It could be 20 minutes. Dudes go at it. Wow. You just can't bite and kick them. That's the only rule. Do you do that in your, in your business trainings too, though? Or no, uh, (laughs) I wish I could. It would solve tons of problems. Really? Just fight it out. Hmm. Uh, But I, the greatest relationships that you have in business are the ones that you go through all the ups and downs with, with the leader. And uh, that's the escapable thing in business is that leaders don't really lead people. They're too aloof. They're too far removed from the people they're leading. Hmm. So we give them a more personable understanding of if you're going to be a leader, it's okay to be a project manager and manage from a distance. But if you're going to lead and you want to grow the business, you got you got to be there during all the crisis. Yeah. You got to let them yell at you. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. So the yelling, and then, I mean, you're talking about obviously the physical stuff, you're not going to do that in real business, but I noticed in the book, there was a lot of guy talk. There was a lot of vulgar sexual mom jokes, but this is how guys talk or it's how they used to talk, how I was brought up. Do you think this younger generation is kind of going to be less tough because of that? I mean, I feel like they're, they're more sensitive, which maybe has some benefits, but that's got to be some, some weaknesses of that is that they're going to be less tough and able to, to deal with crises. I think the still the same percentage of people who are tough will always exist. Uh, there's a lot of people that are um, uh, not conscious of being able to put their voice on the loudspeaker because they're criticized at school or, church or work, you know, like, Hey, fuckhead. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. I, it doesn't mean that I don't like you. I'm pissed off. You piss me off. I call you the N word, even though you're white, I call the girl bitch. Oh my God, you're going to die. Okay. So the, 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 why it's a funny conversation is the definitions are, are, are interchangeable. If I, t- if I call you uh, a battery and I mean the same as fuck, it's the same. So as we're twisting the wordology, the human condition is still the same. I'm pissed off at you and I tell you how, not, how nice you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. He's still pissed off at you. Right. And he's going to skin you alive to be careful. So all this stuff is just rhetoric for easy social media, but it's, the human condition uh, is very distinct in how it communicates. It's just not, 
allowing itself to be clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, gosh, this was part of uh, the book that I found really fascinating. When you talk about uh, PTSD and you say, I never got the PTSD stuff. I, I, I just changed my internal dialogue and that you're happy to be alive. I, th- but so you sleep. Okay. You don't ever have nightmares or flashbacks or any of that stuff. Uh, well, so you got to imagine, you got to not imagine, you got to also consider most of the people who have PTSD. One is they probably didn't want to go do that. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They were national guard, they were army, they were playing around. They didn't think it was going to really go to war. Mm. Uh, and they don't really understand what they're getting into. And then all of a sudden they're in war. So the SEAL trains eight, 10 months a year. As long as you're operational, you're gone 10 months a year in situations that are unwinnable. Constantly, you never win in SEAL training. Everything's uh, a mission gone bad. Everybody dies. Everybody gets injured in, in the training, not in reality. Uh, you're always fired. You're always pissed off. Like your threat, everybody's threatening to kill you constantly. So they keep you in that weird state of, I don't call it arousal or whatever. And you're like, okay, well, cool. We're going to go to combat. Okay. Well, I've been doing it for 10 months a year. Hmm. It's the same scenario. The deal is with combat, you can actually win. (laughs) Biggest phenomenon to SEAL as you go over to combat, you're like, oh my God, we won. You mean it's another another 10 hours of dragging people 10 miles and the, the bus isn't here. Now we got to walk until four o'clock in the morning because in training, that's what you do. They never do a nice, pristine training where it's sunny outside and everything is cool and nobody goes, does anything wrong. They push it until it breaks. If something breaks, you, okay, you got 10 wounded guys. The helo's not coming in uh, and it's 10 miles back to camp. Whenever you guys get there, come wake us up. Oh, shit. So that's the life of a SEAL. Mm-hmm. And then in combat, five minutes into a mission, it's over. Hmm. Everybody's dead. Oh, we secured the objective. And the brain didn't, I didn't know what to do with a victory. Like, oh my God, what happened? Interesting. Yeah, it's a crazy phenomenon of, of combat. Yeah, you said that you you made more mistakes in life than had successes, but you never made the same mistakes twice, and you never made a mistake that cost anybody their life. So that's that's a win. I think uh, uh, I I'm glad none of my mistakes cost uh, my platoon uh, any of their lives, and we made terrible blunders. Really? Like what? Yeah, well, uh, a simple thing of. Uh, Two units cannot merge and do the same thing very quickly without years of rehearsal. So we thought it would be a really cool idea for friendship with the Green Beret to merge with their uh, tactics. And it was the most dangerous thing I've ever seen. We're not better. We're just different. We move different. We smell different. We we do everything uh, on night vision. The Green Beret didn't. So they couldn't see your laser. We clear from a distance. They go right up next to the threshold. Uh, We like throwing in thermobaric grenades that kind of go boom and it scares people. They didn't. And Mm. you couldn't tell where they were. They didn't communicate the same. So five minutes into our first mission, I called all the SEALs back to me and let the Green Beret do all the clearance. Then we cleared behind them and ended up killing like three other people that they missed. And I'm like, yep. We're never going to do that again, but it would have been ugly. Wow. So it's just, you don't feel like it's, you guys are tougher or anything. It's just different. Yeah. Different. Uh, like, uh, if you, uh, set your whole room up to be right-handed and mm. a left-handed person that is as good as you comes in, they can't do anything in your room. So everything is set up in the seals to go a certain way because you train all the time together. Mm-hmm. And somebody else that doesn't know that way, because you can't explain it to them. It's all the intangibles that make you a great person. And you try to explain how you do business and uh, it's not the same. And boy, it's brutal to see it. And uh, interesting. Yeah. What about the uh, Marine? What is it called? The Marine Forces Special Operations Command? Uh, Did you ever have any Uh, interaction? Yeah. Did you ever have any uh, interactions with them? 
Uh, yeah, when they stood up, uh, I was one of their initial trainers, uh, but I never did any combat missions with them. Okay. Yeah. So, what is the what do you think the hardest part of those Hell Weeks? I mean, because I think I he- heard you say it was basically like a hundred pounds of armor and stuff that you're wearing, and you're carrying boats through the water. What, what's the worst part physically? Oh, of Hell Week uh, is Hell Week has a it's designed. So it's designed to, the first design is to give you confusion. It's three hours of confusion called breakout. Then it gives you a law of maybe five hours of uh, a condition called no win. So you can't win. So surf torture is the place, is the thing that really makes people quit. Mm. So you get in the cold water. There's no way to win. You can't beat it. You just got to sit there and you sit there until you're cold. And then you get really cold and then you get scared. Then your balls go up inside of you and you can't say you can't use your fingers and you can't stand up. You can't get your eyes to function. And then they pull you out. They warm you up a little bit and then they put you right back in and the exodus happens. So in a no win scenario, uh, people panic. Like if I can't win, why am I here? So everybody quits. And then uh, the next condition in Hell Week is uh, what do you do when you've already lost? So they make you run a four-mile time run. If you fail, you have to line up again to run it again. Who the hell would run it again? <laughs> I've already already can't run it. Yeah. Why would I run it again? So people quit. The people that tow the line on the uh, what do you do after you failed, they'll never quit Hell Week. In the history of all the hell weeks, the guys that line up again after having failed will never quit. But do they know when to pull the plug on things? Like, does, has anyone ever died from hell week? Like, from yeah, like, oh, yeah, they it's probably the only uh, thing in the military that is very uh, safety related. So they know exactly how far to push you, hmm. cold wise and extreme conditions, and how much weight you can carry. And sometimes they overdo the weight. Uh, and then, then you got to carry the boats and deal with each other. And you're stepping on each other and your neck hurts and you wear all the skin off the top of your head. That's called teamwork. It's a condition called teamwork because team ain't working. They give you a team. They give you something to do that you can't do together. You, you understand? It's what I'm an saying? impossible task. Yeah. It's you. I can't. I can't run right next to you, motherfucker. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so you're tripping them over uh, and you're pushing them yeah. and you're yelling at each other. And then they give you a, a, a thing. And that night is to land your Zodiac boat on a uh, 12 foot rock in high surf. And you're scared. You're like, dude, I'm going to die. So what do you do when you feel, feel like you're going to die? So all these are conditions that they know they're going to put you in. They know how your brain is looking at it. They know all the dynamics that have gone around it because they've put in so many hell weeks the same every time. And as an instructor, you're like, okay, ready? Get the bell out. Here they come. Yep. They're walking out of the surf. Here's the first quitter. Here's the second quitter. And uh, it's an interesting phenomenon from both points of view. So all of Hell Week has a specific design to it to make you question things a certain way. And can you overcome that brain fog uh, that they're giving you? So all backwards, uh, two miles. Ready, go. What? Put sand in your mouth. Now crawl backwards two miles. You're like, I'll hell with this. I'm out. <laughs> but if people and know then, to just not quit and they know that they're not going to die from it, is that part of it knowing that you're not going to die? Because they're not going to let you die. They are oh, safe. No, you feel like you're going to die. You though. feel like you're going to die. Oh, yeah, yeah. But if you know that... They're the, if you have to kind of trust them in a way, uh, no, well, you haven't earned that. There's no condition called trust where you really trust the instructors aren't going to kill you because <laughs> some of them are so demonstrably big. You're like, dude, that guy, oh my God, he won the medal of honor. He's going to kill me. Oh my God. He's a Navy cross winner. Right. He's a silver star winner. Uh, I saw an instructor pick a kid up out of the pool by his nose, a 200 pound man lifted out of the pool by his nose. I'm like, okay, this is a whole different world here. And so you're pretty scared most of the time because they beat you down. And in hell week, it's a beat down. And you must have had times where you wanted to quit for sure, right? Oh yeah. Shoot. Yeah. 
that's where I said, I'm just going to get to the next pole. Okay. I'm going to get to the next corner. And then something good happens. You're like, Oh man, you know, but more, the funny thing is more people quit in during chow than any other time in hell week. Really? Yeah. Because Oh my God, I'm warm. Yeah. I got to go back out into that. I don't want to go back. And you can hide, like you can sneak out the back and quit. You don't have to quit in front of anybody. Oh, interesting. Downtime kills everybody. Interesting. Yeah. So you don't do a hell week with your training, but you do do this thing, the 24 hour challenge, which you talk about in your book, where, where you tell people to walk for 24 hours straight. Explain how this works. Cause I was thinking about that and I'm like, hmm. would you, are you allowed well, yeah, breaks? Then, a, we've done 32 of them now. Okay. And I originally wrote it in unbreakable as one of the 13 lessons I wanted my kids to do in case I died. So lesson three is what you're talking about. And uh, can you overcome your own bullshit for 24 hours? Can you make a promise to walk? You don't have to, you can stop as many times as you want, but you can't give up. Uh, so walk at any speed, stop whenever you want. You can't stop for like five hours, 10 to 15 minute stops, okay. get up, keep going, eat and drink as much as you want. And so October 9th, we're having our 34th or 33rd one. Uh, and people come from all over. It's a, a great uh, dynamic to put yourself through. So it's a guided leadership event. So every hour we stop and talk about what stops you in your life at various aspects of your life, whether it's in business or physical or relational or other things that get in your way. And we have a a no bullshit conversation about it. (laughs) And I limit it to around 30 people uh, so that they can all have a a voice in those stop times. And I, I never thought, People would come back and do it second, third. And I have five people that return as instructors every time we do it. Hmm. And uh, like a guy named Scott has done it uh, 27 times. Wow. And he owns a multi-billion dollar company. <laughs> so it's and that like, mental. Okay, dude, this is the greatest thing in the world, man. I don't have to hide from nobody. I could be an asshole. I could do whatever I want. And, it's an interesting dynamic. Interesting. So you don't recommend people do that on their own. It's probably more something that you would do from you training. Uh, it's very brutal on your own. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, most people can't do it by themselves. Not that accomplishing it by yourself is that important. It's overcoming the reasons and demons in your head that prevent you from doing all the great things that you've wanted to do. And so the guide that I, I recommend, not because it's a business, I recommend doing it with other people through the guided process of it. And uh, as opposed to suffering alone, you don't really get a lot from accomplishing anything by yourself anyway. But so do you ever think that giving up or, or like, like Michael Jordan, I mean, he had to retire at some point. Like, how do you know when it's time to stop something? Well, you can't function at the level that it takes to, to be in that position. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like everything has a season. Okay. It's uh, recognizing uh, that you're not uh, available to what that, the parameters, it's not given up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the, picking a mission uh, has, has to meet certain parameters that you can accomplish. And as you get older or you get more broken, you look at life differently. You're like, well, okay, I can't meet those parameters anymore. I'm going to go find something else I can put my life into, which is, I wish, I wish more veterans would get out and then take that same desire into what they were doing on the outside, but they don't do that very well. Well, it seems like uh, I don't know. I kind of call it like the hurt locker syndrome or like, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but it's like the guy, I saw that movie and the guy is just, it's crazy what he's doing. He's def- defusing these bombs and then he gets out and you're like, Oh, it's a happy ending. He made it out alive. And then he goes right back into the, to doing it again. I was like, but it was, so it's cause he just, and you kind of had a little bit of that phenomenon too. Like you almost mm-hmm. felt more comfortable when there was bullets whizzing by you than when you came back. Right. Yeah. Well, the, you know, the, the brotherhood that exists with guys that you've gone through hell week and into combat with it's rare. Like you can be yourself 
and nobody judges you. It's the weirdest dynamic in the world. And everybody wants to do more in those environments. And then all of a sudden you get out and that impact that you have on and with other people is gone. Mm. And uh, how do you replace it? Find fucking something else. (laughs) Redo it out here. Do something out here that's as, you know, you don't have to defuse a bomb. Like I spent 2,700 plus hours in combat. You can't keep going back to combat to get that. There's other ways to get that. And uh, I actually had people help me understand that. Like you don't have to be in a fight all the time. There's other ways to have that same rush or calmness or whatever you want to call it. And uh, it can be replicated. What, uh, what kinds of things should, could people do? Challenge yourself. Challenge yourself in the physical space or in the health space. Don't go to the gym to work out. Forget that. Forget that one hour a day workout bullshit. Have something that you're working out for that scares the dog crap out of you. Like, okay, you're a, you're a marathon runner, run a hundred miles. Stop doing the same thing repetitively because you're going to kill yourself as a human being. Say business. Uh, I don't have a job that I want. Then fucking find one, figure out what you want to do, put a date to it. I'm going to, I'm either going to be hired or fired by Cisco systems by February and then do whatever it takes to be hired or fired. Both of those are successful. So that process is always leaning forward, scared off, scared out of your mind that it's not going to work. I don't know what I'm doing. Ask questions. That process has to happen for human beings and nobody likes it. They like comfort, but comfort is so destructive. That's a good, yeah. I like. If I'm not scared and uncomfortable, I will continue to do bullshit that makes no difference. No, that's, that's great. And I love that. I think there was a, I can't find it, but I wrote it down. There was a quote in your book where you said it was was something like, don't swing for the fences, swing for the parking lot outside the stadium. Like just shoot for the moon, like shoot really like high goals, like almost impossible. Something that scares you. And that will, because then there's always stuff to do. Like, you know, whether you like Elon Musk, uh, his personality, whether you like the Trump personality, they're looking 10 years, 1500 years ahead. Elon Musk is not going to go to Mars. He knows he's not going to crack that egg, but he's going to Mars. You understand what I'm saying? He is creating condition, a language for Mars being available. It's not going to happen in his lifetime. And then every day, are we there? No, we got shit to do. How do you vertically land a rocket? It's not possible until somebody has an impossible dream, they're scared of shit that's not going to work, and they leverage everything to make it work. People, The human condition loves that. It's just challenging. It's risky. You could lose it all. Yeah. How much billion dollars did Elon Musk lose? And how much did he gain? So you don't think it'll actually happen. So, but he, and he knows that. He's, he's not during his lifetime. Yeah. During his lifetime, it's, it's not going to happen. He knows that in the back of his head, but his, he goes, okay, we're going to Mars. Somehow somebody because of me is going to Mars and it will be true unless if he, uh, uh, or he gives up the moment he gives up, it's gone. Like the space program will die. If Elon Musk stops, it'll just get to routine maintenance because he's the only one pushing Mm -hmm. for the impossible. Yeah. So you think with Elon Musk, uh, I'm a fan of of him. I I think, yeah, maybe some of his personality traits are not the greatest, but I think what's great about him is that, uh, he's such an innovator and I feel like that. And I have this discussion with my friends. We talk about this all the time because some people will say, Oh, he's lucky. And I'm like, I don't think he's lucky. I think he's brilliant and he works super hard. It's like that combination. Don't you agree? Uh, so he is a, has a character trait, uh, of a shepherd. He knows that he doesn't have to know anything. He doesn't have to know anything. He just has to create other people knowing it and carrying it out. He didn't know how to do space. 
he didn't even know it wasn't it PayPal that he created mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. He didn't know what the hell he was doing to begin. He was just trying to solve something that was not solvable. They don't know how to solve it. So it's not that he's brilliant. He becomes brilliant because of the 100 people that come around him that are geniuses. He's not a genius because savants never create advantage. They're never business leaders. So he gets a lot of savants that work really well in one vertical. Like, I want you to figure out rocketeering and I want you to land this thing. And I know I don't care that you are that you can't wipe your own ass savant, you know, just stay in the shed here and let's figure this out. Uh, But the the, the shepherd trait is what he is. uh, And he's not inherently brilliant. He doesn't need to be. It's kind of he's more than he's more like a Steve Jobs because that's how Steve Jobs was. He was kind of an asshole, but and he didn't really he technically he didn't know how to make iPhones, but he found people to work under him that could absolutely he would say, I want you to put all these songs in a thing that can fit in my pocket. And he didn't know how to do it, but he he got people to do it for him. Yep. Yep. That that trait is what drives the the majority of the the people into the business world is uh, one has uh that person scales at a, like a one to one million hmm. as opposed to the smartest person in the world they're a one-to-one trait they know how to make uh, a code okay you're going to be coding for a long time because you can't get out of that because you're just you're going to exchange time for activity yeah wow fascinating stuff uh we got to talk about uh afghanistan can we talk okay. about that Sure. Yeah. So my brother was, uh, he was actually in Afghanistan and, and this is interesting. Like I remember this was early two thousands. I remember seeing a picture of him and he's got these little kids chasing him for like a ballpoint pen. I guess they're so poor there that a ballpoint pen was exciting. And I feel like that was interesting to me because I just felt like the media was never, they were never showing that part of it. And, and you were there. So what, what was your experience like, um, oh, with, boy. with, with that, just that the regular people, civilians? Uh, so we don't go there to work with civilians. Yeah, I had to have to say it, right. preface it by that. Uh, we were called there because it was so dangerous that a guy named General Reader said, hey, I, uh, we just want kill count up. You got to kill more Taliban. <laughs> oh, good. Thank God. Clarity. Finally. So you had because you had the, the severe, like just crazy missions then. Yeah, just yeah. You're only going out to to find Taliban that are marked already, and then you go find them and and you don't bring them back. And so uh, we never, I never had any interaction with uh, Afghani civilians. Right. So, so you're you're. But I'm saying like most of the people are probably are not Taliban, but then these Taliban are they're really bad people from what from what I've read. No, no, no they're no. not. So I, I wouldn't uh, judge it that way. They're uh, they're like a political party uh, that uh, wants power, and they have money and influence and skill, and, and they wanted Afghanistan. And we, you know, over twenty years fucked it up and then gave it to them at the end, obviously. But uh, um, they're not bad people. That's just their environment. It would be like. Uh, um, if we were at war with Spain, the Spain calling you bad because you wanted to take over your your back over your country. So hmm. if you were going to analyze them as a human being they're they have different thought processes than we do. Uh, but uh, uh, some of the warriors are bad, but the party itself, the Taliban party is just uh, like the Dems or the Republicans trying to gain power within their country. So what are your thoughts on us pulling out of Afghanistan then? Uh, it's a fiasco. People should uh, be fired five days ago. Do you think that we should have pulled out? It was you, terrible. Do you think we should have pulled out and maybe just they didn't do it, they didn't execute it right? Or do you think we should have stayed there? Exactly. So uh, it's like uh, uh, somebody bought your house and you said that you'd beat out by August 1st. You got a year to get out. You just didn't get out. <laughs> so we didn't execute on it because it was a transition between presidencies. Trump made the agreement. The Joint Chiefs and the CIA and the State Department didn't hold up to the agreement because the new president said, ah, maybe not. Maybe we'll support them with military and didn't 
take all the guidance that he was supposed to take. And then you come in having already paid the mortgage on the house and expect to take it over going, well, who the hell are you guys? Why are you guys still here? Mm. We don't want to be in a fight with you, but you already made an agreement to leave. Why are you here? And so they didn't want to get in a fight with us again. And they tried not to. And then there's stupid people everywhere. You know what I mean? Diehard idiots that always come out. And I'm not defending what they're doing. It's just we made an agreement to leave and we didn't uphold our side of the bargain. And it's tragic that the Marines got whacked. We could have prevented Mm -hmm. that. And all the civilians that are there that are in distress and guys going over the risk of their lives. It could have been an easy transition, but we didn't do it right. Hmm. That's sad. Well, what about our country with the USA? What, what are your thoughts on where our country's headed? Uh, there's never been a time that I can even have read about where there's so many people that hate each other within our country. The left doesn't like the right and the right doesn't like the left. That, that condition of hatred can't exist for a long time. Like something's got to give uh, and nobody wants to get along. It's either my way or the highway. Trump probably caused a lot of it, but the Dems did as well. And it has a terrible effect on everybody below them. So that's the problem with bad leadership is it's really bad on the people. So there are people that you can't even tell what the truth is. Does COVID even, is it bad? I know people that have died from it. What can we do about it? The vaccine kills a lot of people. Oh my God, I don't know who to believe. So that's what happens below the bad leadership is that people get in a panic and a crisis and then will eventually have two or three choices that they have to make. And forcing business to pay an expense is terrible. Yeah. And so that, that's what's going to create a civil unrest. So that's, that's not good. I mean, because you've written books. These books are, you know, it's about how to lead and how to train leaders. Have you ever considered running for office yourself and being and stepping up and being a leader in a political? Uh, well, my wife runs political campaigns nationally and locally. Oh, <laughs> and uh, I, you have a, you the world, the, the United States is supposed to be run by the people. So the, the local leaders elected and not elected are supposed to step up more so that the guy at the top or the girl at the top doesn't have to make all the decisions. If you were there, you'd fuck it up. If I was there, I'd fuck <laughs> it up. it's terrible to mm-hmm. be the sole person responsible to making a good choice for anybody. And he's making bad choices for bad reasons. And, uh, I don't know a solution. I just prepare for things not doing, doing well for a while. How do you prepare for that? Uh, get healthy very quickly. If you're not healthy, get healthy. Anticipate stress. And the only way to around stress is to be healthy and surround yourself with people that are strong and not weak, not on your side, but strong. And, uh, um, get associated with a business that you think will take a downturn. Hmm. Well, okay. Good advice. Well, gosh, this has been eye opening. A lot of, a lot of great wisdom from, from your books and uh, from this interview. I appreciate it. Sure. Thank you. All right. Um, well, I do like to end with a charity. You said you don't really want to work with any charities, but is there one, <laughs> is there one that you want to just give? I mean, if people buy your book and they have a few dollars left over, is there somewhere they should throw the like wounded warrior project or something? Or? Yeah, there's a, a I, since you asked me that, uh, there's this fund called the seal future fund. Oh, okay. It's 99% of the funds go to helping seals and their family, uh, during stress times. And, uh, It's the only one I know that's that high percentage of where the funds go. Oh, I love that. That's perfect. I'll put that in the notes along with the link to get your books. The the books are great. We we only touch the surface of them. They go into a lot more detail. It's great stuff, combat stories and all sorts of the steps of how to implement a lot of these strategies that you're talking about. So, yep. Well, thank you. I, I do appreciate the time. Yeah. Anything else you want to promote here at the end? Uh, yeah, the, uh, unbreakableleadership.com is where you can get, uh, all what we do for training and consulting. And, uh, I welcome anybody that's brave enough to do the 24 hour, uh, nine October is the next one. And, uh, thank where you. do you do those here in Greenville? 
Okay, Greenville. Okay, all right. Well, thanks so much, Tom. I appreciate it. This has been fun. Yep. Thanks, sir. Appreciate all right. It. See you later. Bye-bye. Yep. Tom Shea, Navy SEAL, amazing man, done amazing things. I feel like I need to listen to this episode multiple times to really take it all in and also want to read his books again uh, to really understand the principles that he's talking about. Uh, so simple, but definitely not easy. You know, he just talks about keep your word and never give up. So if you can live by those two things, uh, I think you'll do well in life. And he obviously has really good stuff. Make sure to check out his website, get the books. Uh, if you want to support my show, uh, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, as I mentioned earlier, uh, like the video if you're watching on YouTube. And uh, you can also, if you really want to go all out, you can write me a review on Apple Podcasts. That will help with the algorithm. And of course, all the social media stuff, follow Tom, follow me, like our stuff, share it, all those kinds of things help us both out a lot. So uh, thank you so much for listening and supporting the show. Have a great rest of your day and remember to shoot for the moon. <laughs>